Welcome to episode 35, Why Banks Practice IBC. Hi, everybody. This is John Montoya. And this is John Parings. We're authorized infinite banking practitioners and hosts of the fifth edition. All right. In this episode, we're going to talk about a little known financial product that is used by a lot of people, but is also used by the banks themselves. And when I say it's a little known product, it's not very little known to anyone that listens to this podcast, but it's whole life insurance. And the reason I'm kind of saying it's little known is because it's not well known that banks themselves own literally billions of dollars of whole life insurance themselves for many reasons. And so what we wanted to do today was talk a little bit about bank-owned life insurance. So if you if you have the, the gumption, you can go to FDIC and check out the balance statement of any of the banks, and you'll see that in some of their listed as the part of their tier one assets, which is their tier one capital, you'll see life insurance assets listed there, and that's life insurance cash value. And we're going to talk a little bit about a book today written by Barry James Dyke, and I'll let John Montoya take it from here. But this, if you haven't read this book, I think you absolutely should. It talks about the, the, the Great Recession in 2008 and kind of what was actually happening during that time. And uh, John, what, what do you think about this book? I mean, I, I love this book. It was definitely one of the key turning points in my journey in understanding money and finance. I wholeheartedly agree. For me, getting into the business of IBC back in 2007, this book was one of the books that was like right after Nelson's book that I read. And it just gave me all the more reason to believe in what I was doing. And the author of this book, Barry James Dyke, this is the best documented book probably to this day that I've read, and it was published in 2008. And it includes arguments for whole life insurance and explains how Wall Street and the life insurance industry works and and why the banking industry really leans on the life insurance industry. And I think this episode is so important for the listeners because a lot of times we'll connect with people and they're a little bit nervous have some anxiety about doing IBC because they don't know anyone themselves who's practicing IBC. And there's always that fear, well, I don't want to be the first one doing it. And here's the thing. You may not know of anyone practicing IBC, but the biggest banks in the world buy billions of dollars worth of cash value life insurance. They're already practicing, in a sense, infinite banking. All the biggest banks in the world do this. And that, for me, is the best testimonial, the best advertisement for why individuals should be doing the exact same thing that banks do. Not what they tell you to do by CDs and mutual funds, but actually park a percentage of your safe money with the safest institutions in the world. That is the life insurance industry. And that's a great way to put it because a lot of people think this is a, an either or discussion. Like you either own a bunch of life insurance or you go out and invest in the, in the market and do all these other things. But that's not what the banks do. They have a solid portion of their most liquid and safest capital in life insurance. 
And just like everybody else should, they have other assets as part of their overall portfolio. And I think another to kind of tie on to what you were saying, where people get a little bit nervous, there's a lot of fear, uncertainty, and doubt that's put out there by some of the I get, we like to call them financial entertainers out there, the Dave Ramseys of the world where, you know, all they, they love to bash whole life insurance, but then it's like, Hey, if you really just take a, a closer look at this, if it's so bad, why do the banks own billions of dollars of it? And John and I were kind of looking at some of the FDI, uh, some of the bank balance sheets on FDIC.gov. What is it? Uh, Wells Fargo. How much does Wells Fargo have? I'm looking here. $19 billion in life insurance assets. Bank of America, $23 billion in life insurance assets listed on their balance sheet. This is as of 2019. We don't have the most up-to-date ones, but or they're not listed, I should say. It really just kind of goes back to, as you said, creating a comfort level where it is true that it's not, it's not as well known of a thing to do, but the biggest financial institutions in the world are doing it. And so it should at least put some level of comfort back into um, the hands of someone that's that's looking at permanent life insurance. Absolutely. Why, why do people contribute to a 401k? It's because there's a positive feedback loop. Everyone pretty much contributes to a 401k. And so you don't have to take a leap of faith. You know that well, it's it's the accepted thing to do. But when it comes to life insurance, sure, people buy life insurance for the death benefit and they do that all day long. It's a commodity, but we're, we're never taught to look at the living benefits of permanent cash value life insurance. And if we just stop, take a moment and start to ask ourselves, if banks are doing this with their reserves, we should be doing at least a portion of our assets into safe money with these life insurance companies too. It's as simple as that. I agree. So you mentioned tier one assets. Banks have to have tier one assets. Why don't you explain a little bit, what is a, a tier one asset? Well, a tier one asset for a bank is is really just their, it's kind of like their bedrock capital. It's their safest, most liquid capital that they show on a balance sheet, which gives people an idea of what's going on with their their liquidity situation at any at any given time. So it's can't be tied up in in risky types of investments. It can't it has to be liquid. And so that tier one piece of it, it's like tier one kind of says it all. This is the most important part of the balance sheet that we can show the government, we can show investors, all of that stuff. Right. It's the core capital of the bank. The more tier one capital the bank has the stronger the bank is. So the, the primary purpose of this capital in the form of cash values is really to cushion the bank in times of adversity and to support their other balance sheet assets. Let, let's relate that to the you and me level, to the individual level, because the majority of people out there, they're heavily invested in the market, right? 401ks, IRAs, Roth IRAs, they have their brokerage accounts and it's risk upon risk upon risk. And they have very little as an emergency fund even. And they probably have next to nothing in the form of permanent life insurance with cash values that are increasing in value each year, like what we recommend with IBC. And so the IBC assets that we create ourselves and for our clients, it actually helps us not only in times of adversity, 
right? Through the Great Recession. In fact, going back even uh, 100 years before that, the Great Depression, everybody who had money in a whole life policy didn't lose a dime. But these permanent life insurance policies with this cash value, it actually makes all the other balance sheet assets that we have that much stronger because we have them. And what I'm referring to there is is ultimately when we get to retirement, because we have the power of all this cash value that's available tax-free, we also have a permanent death benefit. It gives us additional options in retirement for guaranteed income that we otherwise wouldn't have. You wouldn't have that if you didn't have an IBC policy. Well, you have to think of why banks do this. Why, why do they put so much capital into permanent life insurance is because it really does complement all the other assets that they have on their balance sheet. It works the same for us at the individual level too. Yeah. And it's a lot of people in the IBC world, I think, get a little too caught up in the cash value portion of it and don't necessarily understand the incredible benefits that the the actual life insurance is providing. And because again, you can't have cash value without without a permanent death benefit. That's where the cash value comes from. And the actuarial science provides some advantages over just keeping your cash sitting in a bank. And you just can't get that with any other asset where you essentially get a, an actuarial discount on the money that you put in there where that liquid asset is going to perform better than other assets in, the, in that same class. One of the things I pulled from the Pirates of Manhattan, I thought this was pretty interesting. According to the General Accounting Office, for banks that owned bank-owned life insurance, the cash value represented up to 25% of its total tier one capital. And I read someplace else, and I, I'm not exactly sure where I read it. I, I think it might be The Creature from Jekyll Island. I th think in that book, it was stated that the Federal Reserve caps banks at 25%. So it's very much in line with what Barry James Dyke is saying here, that banks who do own bank-owned life insurance, they... They, they have as much as 25% of it in their tier one capital, which I think is phenomenal. And the reason why I bring that up is because, again, if banks are putting so much of their capital, up to 25% of their capital into this ultra liquid, ultra safe asset class, again, why aren't we doing that ourselves? Yeah. And we did an episode a couple of weeks ago about diversification. And one of the things that one of the things we talk about in there is, are you truly diversified? And so we, we just talked about how the banks have up to 25% of their tier one capital as this liquid cash asset. To your point, why wouldn't we want to have that same true diversification where most people's idea of, of diversification is investing in everything that can be affected by a total market correction? And so you've got your stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETFs, real estate, all that stuff can and will be affected by the next market correction, do you have anything that's not correlated to the market? And that's exactly one of the reasons why banks have all this. So another tidbit that I pulled from the book, according to the author, at least 4,082 banks across the nation have what's called bank-owned life insurance. 
They buy so much of it, in fact, the life insurance industry actually gave this product a name specifically for the banking industry. The acronym is B-O-L-I, call it BOLI for short. That's their own specific life insurance product for the banking industry because they buy billions of dollars of this asset. The biggest buyers of permanent life insurance products in the world happen to be banks. It's just incredible to me. It it is incredible. And so we just talked about diversification being one thing. What are some of the other reasons why people buy life insurance cash value? We've talked a little bit about it. I'd say diversification, liquidity, and safety are probably the, the, the three biggest ones. What are some other ones? So you get tax advantages, the, the cash value grows tax deferred. And then if you access it the right way via policy loan, there's no taxable event. And going beyond that, multi-generational planning, the death benefit transfers tax-free to your beneficiaries. I did mention the additional retirement options that you'll have for owning permanent life insurance that you otherwise wouldn't have if you're all market-based in your retirement approach. There's the ability to be ultra-liquid so you can write out all the bumps in life, but also on the positive side, when you come across opportunities to invest, you've got the cash without having to liquidate other assets. That's such a huge thing for active investors out there, whether you're in real estate or you invest in businesses you need access to capital. I mean, that that's a fundamental purpose for IBC in the first place. We, we want to have and control our capital. We want to take that away from banks. So a lot of benefits with IBC. And the banks experience all those same benefits as well. And when they buy life insurance uh, policies on key employees, they sometimes, sometimes those assets get transferred to the insured upon retirement. There are certain types of uh, policies that are included in retirement plans, but some of those, the death benefit gets paid to the bank itself. And so you're essentially creating a situation where you're guaranteeing some some large future cash flows that all go towards the bottom line, aka that tier one capital. And they're they're getting some advantages all along the way with the tax deferral, the the tax uh, free death benefit. Sometimes those are a little bit different for banks as as far as how the death benefit gets paid out. But then all of those things that are sitting there are assets on the bank's balance sheet that they can use to fund other types of activity. They'll go out and and borrow money as well from other banks. And so those assets help them capitalize and and create more leverage for what they're doing, but in a a much safer manner because those underlying assets have so so many guarantees which is a fundamental concept of IBC. We're, we're, we want to use leverage as much as possible, but as much as it's safe to do so. There's a difference between over-leveraging yourself with a whole bunch of properties and mortgages that you know, if the market corrects in that instance, the underlying collateral is not can cause some problems. Same thing with doing margin loans and things like that. Whereas IBC and using life insurance, that underlying collateral is guaranteed by the life insurance company. So a lot of benefits that the banks see that we can also see. Exactly. And be the banker. That's right. So what I'd like to do is just read from a few paragraphs from the Pirates of Manhattan from the bank-owned life insurance chapter that begins on 135. So here we go from Barry James Dyke. 
Permanent life insurance is perhaps the most underutilized and least understood financial product in America today. Unfortunately, knowledge of this product is minimal. Even many employees in the home office where life insurance is manufactured do not fully comprehend the strengths and economic benefits of permanent life insurance. However, one segment of the nation's economy completely understands the economic value of high cash value permanent life insurance as a golden asset. This section of the economy is arguably the largest and most potent force in the entire economy. This section controls everything. How much you pay for your car, how much you pay for a mortgage, how much you pay in usury credit cards. It is the nation's banks, particularly large money center commercial banks. Banks buy permanent life insurance by the tractor trailer loads. Banks own so much that the cash values on their balance sheets actually make them look a lot like life insurance companies unto themselves. Most people, perhaps the vast majority of the population, are unaware that the banks with whom they do business own such great amounts of permanent life insurance. Many life insurance professionals are unaware of this too, and banks are reluctant to talk about their mammoth purchases. It is a relatively new phenomenon in the banking industry, which developed over the past 20 years or so. Five of the six largest banks in the world, Citibank, JP Morgan, HSBC Holdings, Bank of America, and the Royal Bank of Scotland, own significant amounts of cash value permanent life insurance. Banks buy high cash value life insurance for a variety of reasons, including funding bank executive and director supplemental pensions, healthcare costs, and other employee benefits to improve the income statement, to enjoy tax benefits, and to strengthen the financial stability of the bank. Due to the level of purchases, it is now known as bank-owned life insurance, or BOLI. There are several other scenarios where life insurance is purchased in massive quantities, including corporate-owned life insurance, COLI, or trust-owned life insurance, TOLI, which are discussed in other chapters of this book. And just to finish off here, one more brief paragraph. Bankers have wholeheartedly embraced high cash value life insurance as a safe economic power tool and have found the product to be healthy for the bottom line. Generally, banks today purchase permanent life insurance on the top 35% of their employees ranked by compensation. So this, back to John Montoya here. So this speaks to what you were saying about how they use a permanent life insurance. I mean, it just, there's so much there in those few paragraphs that really just pack a huge punch for me and hopefully for all the listeners taking it all in and might be surprised by this. But you got to know this stuff because if you do have that fear, uncertainty, and doubt about getting started, just know that the biggest banks in the world have paved the way for you. Absolutely. And by paved the way, they didn't create this. They paved the way because they saw the benefits, all the factors that that come together to make this such a strong, safe asset. It just makes sense. And again, it's 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 the actuarial math behind how insurance works that makes this such a strong asset. And so I think this is a great episode. And I think if more people understood and realized that this isn't sort of a, a fringe type of financial asset, this isn't something that like weird people do. This is something that the, the, the largest financial institutions in the world do. And if they're doing it, I'm not saying just because they do it, you should do it. But what I am saying is they are doing it 
shouldn't it at least be looked at more seriously than what some of the some of the folks put out there what they how they treat it i think it should be treated more seriously just like the banks treat it absolutely and just to bring some levity to uh, the conversation uh, i want to say that some weird people do it i consider myself just a little bit weird not not crazy weird but i i put large portions of what i take home into multiple policies, up to 12 policies, plus a an additional term policy, a convertible awesome. term policy. So if that makes me a little bit weird, then I'm happy to be a little bit weird. But <laughs> I have truly benefited, benefited from having IBC in my life. And it's all, all the things that IBC has done to improve my financial life. That is what I want for all of you listeners. So a little bit weird maybe, but man, is it effective. And effective for you and effective for your generations after you to come. And so anyone that has that long-term view, that long-term outlook on what could happen for the next generation in their family, you, you can't overlook it. Great stuff. I love this book. Check it out, everybody. It's called The Pirates of Manhattan. There's also a Pirates of Manhattan 2 and Barry Dyke also has a book on annuities that I recommend called Guaranteed Income. So really just go over, look up Barry James Dyke, go over to his website. I don't think he really sells his stuff on Amazon. You buy it directly through his website, but read everything he's got. I mean, it's it's amazing. And just to wrap the book up a little bit, you mentioned it before. This This book is like the most, like has so much source material. He really did his research on this book, and it's really an impressive book that I, I think everybody should should give a give a look at. Yeah, if there's a financial hall of fame, he should be in it. Yes. Well, I think that wraps up this episode. If you have any questions about this stuff, or if you wanna if you wanna reach out and schedule a consultation, we'll schedule a half hour with you. If that's something you'd like to just find out how this could work in your life specifically, head over to thefifthedition.com and you can book a 30 minute call with us right there on the website. Thanks everybody. Thank you.